It's episode 28 of Flying Podcast, and today I'm talking to Paul Hutchings, who is the chief pilot of Thomas Cook Airlines. I've had a lot of questions over the last few months from listeners about um, becoming a commercial pilot, so who better to talk to than the chief pilot of one of the country's largest charter airline fleets? I was interested to hear what qualities they look for in potential new recruits, and I was particularly interested in their cadet training scheme that I've heard a lot about recently, which is for ab initio pilots. So let's have a listen to what uh, Paul had to say. Uh, good afternoon, Paul. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, so, the first question, what do Thomas Cook Airlines look for in potential pilots? Uh, I think, well, as a, a recruiter, we're, you know, we're very keen on being quite diverse in the pilots we recruit. Um, we have uh, recently uh, started up a new cadet scheme, which is really to sort of help develop and bring... Uh, ab, ab initio trained pilots into uh, into the industry and into mm -hmm. the company, uh, but that's one small part in many ways of our recruitment strategy. We we look to bring direct entry pilots in. Um, we also bring ex military pilots in, uh, but we uh, I'm really keen on on making sure the demographic is uh, is quite broad so that uh, it meets sort of current and potentially future needs, uh, particularly as the industry changes a little bit and. Uh, uh, you know the uh, the market for uh, for available pilots becomes a little bit more buoyant. Yeah. So let's say we were talking about the cadet training scheme, where people need not have, have any flying experience at all. What sort of qualities in in a person are you looking for? I think the um, the, the, the cadet scheme is is designed very much around people who haven't touched an aeroplane before, yeah. and it's it's uh, designed to be um, uh, for. A, a completely integrated course that brings people through from uh, you know the basics of the theoretical side to the flying a single engine aircraft and mm -hmm. multi engine aircraft uh, and then forward into the airline environment we don't look for any specific academic qualifications we have some broad guidelines around what those academic requirements are um, often uh, you know science subjects maths geography those sort of subjects are useful but not essential uh, there is quite a lot of academic content in becoming a, a commercial airline pilot, uh, but it's more about volume necessary than the level of uh, of the uh, the sort of academic level of the work that you have to do. Yeah. There's a huge huge number of exams to take. Um, those people, I think, who are more adept academically will probably find that a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. But we don't we don't set specifically a, a minimum standard. And there are various qualifications that we would consider as equivalent, whether they sort of be you know, diplomas in, in various sort of technical apprenticeships, etc. Um, we, uh, what are, I think the most important skills for, for any pilot is, is you know, motivation and commitment. Mm -hmm. um, you're starting out to become an airline pilot is a long and very arduous road. And uh, those people who are successful are those who are incredibly determined to get ultimately where they want uh, want to get to. It's it's more of a vocation than a regular job, and uh, you know to become qualified uh, takes a lot of hard work, um, a lot of commitment, um, both personally and financially, and um, and therefore um, you know if you're not 100% behind that intent, mm -hmm. uh, you can fall short. Sure. And, uh, and so those, those are some of the skills, I think, that, uh, that we look for uh, in potential candidates. But the whole selection process is, is designed around testing certain other qualities. Um, you know, we do um, uh, not just sort of numerical and verbal reasoning tests. Uh, we also do uh, pilot aptitude tests. We do interviews. 
uh, we do we intend to do a form of psychometric or uh, emotional intelligence uh, testing as well, um, as well as uh, observing how um, candidates perform not just in interview but also in group exercises. Mm -hmm. uh, because being a team member and being a team player is a very very important quality and asset required of a of an airline pilot. Okay. Uh, going back to the cadet training scheme, do all of your pilots come by that route? No, they don't. No. In fact, the uh, we've. Thomas Cook Airlines uh, and prior to the new Thomas Cook and in, in the pre-merged airlines of, of my travel and old Thomas Cook both had uh, forms of cadet schemes. Um, what I've done since I've been in the organisation and post-merger is to sort of rationalise that into one form of, of cadet scheme. But as I said earlier on, it's, it, it forms really only one part of our, our recruitment. We do bring in people who are already qualified on type. Um, we, uh, we have uh, the likelihood that we will be bringing people in who have licenses but aren't qualified on the types that we fly, mm -hmm. uh, which will require us to give them tight ratings on, uh, on Boeings or Airbus aircraft. Okay. Um, so the cadet scheme is really more of a longer-term plan of being able to feed us with um, sort of entry-level pilots over the coming years rather than it being a specific requirement, a specific initiative to meet our current requirement. Okay. Uh, how does the scheme work? Uh, we've just advertised, uh, and the advert for the uh, the first uh, course recently just closed, or applications just closed, I should say. And uh, what happens then is there's a four-stage selection process. First one is an application form uh, that requires some written examples of previous history and. Uh, and then you move on to stage two and three, which is held at our headquarters at Peterborough, uh, our group headquarters at Peterborough. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, there are some written tests, and uh, there are also there's an interview stage as well. Those are stages two and three. And the final stage, four selection, actually happens at Thomas Cook Airlines here at Manchester. Uh, we then uh, we do a, an interview, a group exercise, and a form of psychometric testing. Um, subject to all of that, uh, then we're aiming on the first course to probably look to place around eight candidates for the first year um, and they will then uh, go to start their training at Flight Training Europe in Jerez uh, starting in mid-November of this year. The course there takes around 14-15 months. It's a fully integrated uh, frozen ATPL uh, course and uh, that's done uh, as a residential course in Spain. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we chose Flight Training Europe is we like the residential campus status of that facility and um, we've had experience of the quality of the, uh, of the product that they produce and you know, we were, uh, that's the reason we chose Flight Training Europe. So they're there for, for that period of time and, and whilst they're there they will be uh, mentored uh, by Thomas Cook Airlines. Uh, we have uh, four or five guys who will be involved in the mentoring of those uh, students so we'll give them a little bit of branding, a bit of uniform uh, some financial assistance as they uh, as they go through uh, for uh, as they go through the uh, the fifteen month course, and then subject to them achieving the required standards, um, we will give them some supplemental training, uh, what we call jet upset training, which is effectively a short aerobatic sequence, but it uh, teaches pilots how to recover aircraft from unusual attitudes. We will then uh, pay for them to do what's called a jet orientation course, and that's done with our our partners in this scheme uh, who are Flybe and it's done to their SOPs and then subject to them com successfully completing all of that then we'll offer them a fixed term contract of employment and second them for two years to fly with uh, Flybe uh, as first officers on the Dash 8 Q400 and Flybe are one of if not 
the best regional operator or airline in, in Europe and the Dash 8 Q400 aircraft is, is an excellent aeroplane for those pilots to serve their apprenticeship. Uh, it's a modern, good-sized modern turboprop aircraft and uh, once they've done their two years as first officers with, uh, with uh, Flybe, they will then join Thomas Cook Airlines and do a tight rating on a Boeing or an Airbus aircraft mm-hmm. and start their careers uh, in a, uh, with Thomas Cook at that point. It's a pretty good idea. Has, has anyone tried this before? Whose idea was it? Well, it's an idea that, um, that I have some experience of in, in, in past. One of my previous roles uh, was as chief pilot of British Regional Airlines, uh, which was a regional operator. Um, uh, British Regional Airlines group include, included two airlines, British Regional Airlines and Manx Airlines. And when I was chief pilot at uh, British Regional Airlines, we were involved in a relationship with Air Tours, who are one of the original constituent companies of what Thomas Cook is now. Yeah. And Air Tours, their cadet scheme included a placement for uh, a period of time flying turboprop aircraft in, in British Regional Airlines. So I have experience from a previous life of, mm-hmm. uh, of this scheme, as does um, you know, my existing company. So uh, when we came to come looking for a new scheme that was, would suit our future needs, it was, uh, uh, it was certainly the way we wanted to go. Uh, the value for two years in regional operations for us cements those skills for the long term. Yeah. So it's a very much an investment in the candidate uh, that we know will pay dividends um, in the years to come. Many of the original cadets who used to work with me in, in British Regional Airlines um, back then are now have recently just gone through uh, command training. Uh, some of them are, in fact there's a couple of them who are part of my management team. Uh, and probably to a man and woman, they will have said that that is uh, a very valuable part of uh, of their early careers. So, um, yeah, some some success stories of previous schemes uh, led us down this route. Good. Uh, and there's no guarantees in life, but you wouldn't go into this without thinking you were going to employ these people at Thomas Cook at some point in the future? Absolutely. Um, there is a healthy financial commitment required uh, of Thomas Cook as an airline, as well as the individual. It's a sort of shared scheme, mm-hmm. um, and we wouldn't be making that investment if it wasn't our intention to offer uh, sort of permanent employment in the future. Now, now clearly there's, there's no guarantees in life, but um, as the industry is coming out of recession, there's every likelihood that we're going to need a steady source of, of pilots to fill our future needs. Can you explain a little bit more about the shared financial burden? Yeah, the course at, um, at Hareth broadly costs around £70,000. So it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a big financial mm-hmm. commitment. Um, the, uh, the commitment that Thomas Cook makes is, uh, is over various stages. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, we, we support uh, the individual to the tune of £1,000 per month for the, for the period of the time they're staying in, uh, in Hareth. And that effectively comes off the £70,000 bill because that's a full-in course, which includes all the living accommodation and the rest of it. So, so effectively, that, that sort of supplements that requirement. We, uh, one of the reasons we've chosen Flight Training Europe is they've got a very good relationship with one of the major Spanish banks who uh, are um, very uh, used to and have a lot of experience of providing finance for uh, trainee pilots, for cadet pilots, in the knowledge that they are entering into a profession that's going to pay them uh, a good standard of living um, so that they can pay those loans off over the future. We then will, uh, as I mentioned earlier, pay for uh, the additional training courses at the end of uh, the uh, frozen ATPL course, so that's the upset training and also the jet orientation course. And then, of course, we will pay 
the salaries of those pilots for the two years that they're at, uh, at FlyBE. So there is a non-productive salary element in there. So uh, broadly the individual would have to fund around £60,000 worth of the training uh, and Thomas Cook um, around seventy pounds or £80,000. So a little bit more of the overall cost of that whole scheme uh, mm-hmm. falls to, uh, to sort of Thomas Cook. So a significant investment uh, by both, uh, and as I mentioned earlier on, uh, because of that commitment uh, that the individual has to make, you know, people need to enter this with their eyes very much wide open. But if there's a, a potential job, a reasonably secure offer of a job, it's worth the investment, isn't it? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Um, much better than just going into integrated on your own, paying for I'm, everything off your own back? I'm likely to be accused of being slightly biased here, but um, I have uh, no doubt that this is the best scheme on the market at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the only one really that... Um, that is, that there's, a, there's a couple of what, what you would call partial sponsorship schemes. Uh, interesting enough, uh, Flybe also do a sort of similar scheme, not quite the same as, as, as what we're intending. But in terms of the overall commitment from the airline and the development of the individual, uh, it's by far the best scheme out there. Uh, we wanted to put a good scheme out there and to attract the attention and, and obviously try and attract the, uh, the highest quality candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other advantage is that, that there's potential opportunity in one of the, if the UK's best airlines. Yep. Uh, we are, uh, I think, one of the employers of choice for, for pilots in the UK. Uh, we fly modern jet aircraft, both narrow and wide-body aircraft, on short, medium and long-haul uh, routes. So you, if you join Thomas Cook, it's, uh, it's potentially uh, a career airline for you. Correct. Uh, as we speak, it's summer 2010 and the admissions have just closed for this batch. How often do you intend to do it? I think a lot will depend on what our needs are. Right. Um, when, we, when we set the, uh, the scheme in place and we got board approval to, to go ahead with the scheme, the intent was to do uh, probably one course a year to start with. Mm-hmm. But clearly if, if the... Um, the availability of pilots looks more challenging in the future, then we'll, we'll ramp that up and we'll, we'll start pushing through uh, more people through a cadet scheme. Uh, however, w- what is um, important for people to understand is from uh, the start of that cadet course, uh, it's a good three years to three and a half years before we actually see that pilot flying the line with, uh, with Thomas Cook Airlines. Mm-hmm. So it's much more of a... Um, a medium to sort of a long-term recruitment yep. plan rather than a short-term one. Okay. So not everybody comes via the cadet scheme, there's direct entry. Do you have a preference training-wise for someone that's self-funded between going down the modular route or integrated? No, none. Uh, there, there is no real preference. Um, I think once we get people um, applying to Thomas Cook Airlines who have a, uh, a licence, then it's really around the qualifications associated with that license. So at the moment, um, we would only look to bring people in who have a, uh, a current type rating or a type that we fly, mm-hmm. uh, because that obviously prevents the additional cost to the airline of, yeah. of type rating uh, those individuals. And uh, I think the way the industry has gone recently, and very sadly there's been a number of airlines fail over the last couple of years, there, is, there are quite a lot of type rated pilots out there available for, uh, for us to select. Um, but if you exclude that element, then really what we're looking for is the best sort of quality candidates. We don't have a preference to whether they've been through a modular or integrated process. It's more how good they are uh, when they come through our selection process. Uh, and our selection process for direct entry pilots, direct entry pilots at the moment is uh, an interview and a simulator assessment. Okay. 
do you have a preference on the sort of training school that they've been to? You mentioned FTE, but I presume you have other. No, uh, yeah, uh, FTE is our uh, our choice of, of flying training organisation for the cadet scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, but no pilots coming into Thomas Cook have come from all sorts of uh, you know flying training backgrounds. Um, we've got lots of pilots from Oxford and CTC and Cab Air, and um, it's it's more really, as I said, about um, you know the quality of the individual at that point. Um, the uh, the the thing about becoming a pilot nowadays is that you have to go through fully approved training courses with approved training organisations mm-hmm. anyway. Yep. So so there's a little bit of self regulation about the quality of the uh, of the candidates coming out of those flying schools with licences anyway. So we look more at the individual rather than where they've done the training. Okay, <clears throat> I presume you don't mind ex-military. No, we they're, they're they're very much part of the mix. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, quite a number of ex-military pilots. We have no preference again for ex-military. It's part of that spread of demographic that I'm uh, you know that I mentioned earlier on. Yeah. Um, the value you get out of ex-military pilots, of course, is they have fantastic basic training. Um, they've uh, you know flown got. Some very interesting backgrounds. Some of them ex-fast jet pilots. Some of them transport helicopter pilots who have uh, transport or helicopter pilots that have converted to uh, fixed wing. Um, they always come with a you know a level of you know personal discipline and motivation mm-hmm. and desire to sort of succeed and and, am, and be ambitious. Um, but there is a there's a step change they have to make. You know, flying uh, for a modern airliner. That modern airline at the moment is, is quite different from being a military pilot. Mm-hmm. So there's a diff- there's a um, an equal but subtly different challenge that they face in yep. becoming uh, airline pilots than than people who come through their own sort of self improver route. Yeah, I know. Having spoken to the helicopter pilots being trained for the military, their emphasis on teamwork is probably as great as very much so in yeah. the airline industry. So let's say someone has completed the cadet training course and has come in from Flyby, what is the sort of the route to command in a, in a nutshell? If you can. I'll be Briefly. honest, it's quite a long one. Yeah. Um, you, as I sort of mentioned earlier on, Thomas Cook is, a, is pretty much a career airline now. We, we don't get a lot of people who are on sort of permanent full-time contracts in, in Thomas Cook looking to go elsewhere. There'll be a few. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't fly, we have no plans to fly A380s as an example, and there may be pilots out there who have a personal ambition to fly a, a particular type of aeroplane. Yep. So we do, we do get some movement, but in the main, people who join on a, a permanent full-time contract in, in Thomas Cook tend to stay with us, um, which means time to command is, is quite long. Uh, I would estimate at the moment it's uh, from the day you walk in the door it's probably somewhere between 8 and 10 years mm-hmm. um, so uh, our promotion requirements is that if you if you join the company with less than 500 hours flying time then you'll start as a second officer and then as soon as you achieve 500 hours uh, you become a first officer with an ATPL an unfrozen ATPL and 1500 hours flying uh, you are then uh, promoted to senior first officer, uh, and then the requirements for command are four and a half thousand hours. Uh, although, as I sort of mentioned earlier, it's not really the hours mm-hmm. that gets you over the line; it's more the time served. Yep. Uh, we obviously operate a seniority-based um, system, so you've got to go work your way up the seniority list. Um, but selection and uh, for command is very much a merit-based decision. Uh, there's a very very challenging uh, command assessment and selection and training phase uh, that uh, is required of new skippers. So um, you've got to really cut the mustard. Uh, we set the bar deliberately very high because we want um, we want excellent quality 
pilots flying in, our, in the left-hand seat. And um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a challenge to get there, but um, you know, definitely a worthwhile challenge. Uh, you hinted at the seasonality. Of course, you're a charter airline, so yeah. and you're based in the UK, so you're far busier in the summer than you are in the winter. Yeah, very much so, and that, and that tends to drive what our pilot requirements are. Um, we are effectively the, the sort of transport arm of, a, of what we call a vertically integrated tour company. So uh, we do all our flying effectively for our, uh, for our tour operator. There is some ad hoc flying that we do uh, for cruise companies in the winter, particularly mm -hmm. on the long haul flights. Uh, but in the main, the vast majority of flying is, is uh, for our tour operator. And of course, the great British travelling public tends to take its uh, two weeks holiday in the summer. Yeah. So our, uh, the vast majority of our work is, is summer work. And we uh, broadly have uh, about one third of our flying in the winter and about two thirds in, in the summer. So our pilot requirements are um, shift season to season. We, uh, our permanent full-time establishment is around halfway between our winter needs and our summer needs. So what that tends to mean is that we carry a surplus of pilots in the winter and we top up in the summer. Now our ability to top up with seasonal uh, contracts um, is de really very much dependent upon the availability of those pilots and as I've mentioned the industry has seen some sort of failures of airlines recently so we've got quite a lot of uh, ex-globespan pilots and XL Airways and Silverjet, uh, a few of those airlines that sadly have, uh, have gone into liquidation. Some of their pilots have been available to come in on uh, seasonal contracts but as, as the industry springboards out of a recession, I have no doubt that the, uh, the market and the employment market for pilots will shift, and that will put more pressure upon uh, airlines to offer permanent full-time employment, mm -hmm. and that includes Thomas Cook Airlines. Yeah. Um, the challenge for us, of course, is, is then how we balance the, uh, the additional cost that we have to carry through the winter when we're not doing as much flying. Okay. Uh, so ideally, we, we would look to, uh, to try and increase the amount of winter flying that's available for us. Uh, obviously, you fly long haul and short haul. Yeah. Through your career, will you be flying sort of ten tending to be flying short haul to begin with, and graduating onto long haul? Yeah, well, the, the pilots who come in tend to go onto the narrow body aircraft uh, to start with, uh, particularly if they're seasonal pilots. Uh, we've got a, a number of seasonal pilots who who came to us with A330 experience, and so we have put a few of those, about half a dozen or so, I think, who fly our A330 aircraft because they are experienced on that type. But in the main, people will come in and they'll start probably doing uh, the short and medium haul routes on the narrow body aircraft. But we do mixed fleet flying on the Airbus fleet, which means that pilots are qualified to both fly uh, the A320 and 21, but also the A330. So once you've done uh, a season or around 500 hours or so uh, on the narrow body aircraft, then we qualify pilots then to do mixed fleet, which allows them to uh, to do both long haul and short haul flying. Okay. Uh, and on the Boeing side, uh, pilots, if they're based in Manchester, uh, which is our biggest Boeing base, uh, would fly both 757 and 767. Uh, outside in the regional bases, then the Boeing uh, 757 is the only qualification that um, that the pilots have. Um, the, the 767s do uh, more medium haul flying at the moment uh, and tend to only do long haul flying a little bit in the winter but also occasionally to, to, to do a rescue flight for an A330 if necessary in the summer. Okay, now you've merged with Air Tours, you have how many bases? Well, it's the, uh, the merger was between my travel and the old Thomas Cook and Sorry. we kept the Thomas Cook brand. Um, and we have bases now quite widespread around the UK. Uh, our main bases are Manchester and Gatwick, obviously. 
um, but shortly behind in size terms is uh, then is Glasgow and Birmingham. But we also have bases in uh, Newcastle, uh, East Midlands, uh, Belfast, Stansted, Bristol and Cardiff. And we also have a summer-only base in Leeds. Okay. And if you're employed as a pilot, you're expected to live near one of those bases and do most of your flying from there? Yeah, very much so. Um, we, we, we give pilots a type and a base when they join, and uh, they do the, the majority of their flying from that base. However, uh, they, they become very much a fleet asset, so when we haven't always got exactly the right number of pilots on the right type, the right qualification in the right base. So occasionally a pilot might have to go spend a few days flying out of another base just to help the fleet out. Okay. Uh, and you've sort of given us a, a hint of what you think the future for commercial pilots is, but... Uh... It's starting to look good. Um, we are seeing some of, particularly some of the uh, the, the larger, um, you know, major uh, Middle Eastern carriers, such as uh, Etihad and Emirates and Qatar, are really ramping up their recruitment based on their, uh, you know, their recent fleet orders. Uh, I understand that Emirates are looking for 750 pilots in the next uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah. So that's going to start the the movement, uh, and with the movement, uh, obviously comes opportunity. Um, so I think there's every reason for the pilots looking for jobs out there to be optimistic. Um, it provides a different challenge for an employer and mm-hmm. for an airline like us, um, but in the eyes of the pilots, I think things are going to start to look a lot brighter than they have for some years. Okay. And your own personal history, Paul, how did you end up? end up being chief pilot at Thomas Cook? Oh, well, it's, um, I actually joined the Air Force when I left school. Uh, chose not to go to university. Probably st- still regret that decision slightly. Um, but I went straight in flying. Uh, my father was a pilot, and so it was, uh, it was sort of in the family a bit. And, uh, and so I was keen to, uh, uh, to get into flying as quickly as I could. I joined the Air Force, and unfortunately I didn't make fast yet. And at the time there wasn't the opportunity for me to go either transport helicopters, um, there were no uh, availability on on, uh, on those sort of operations. So uh, they were offering me uh, navigator as an option, and it's not something that, that I particularly wanted to do. So I chose to, to leave the Air Force um, and go and seek my career as a, as a commercial pilot. Uh, I initially got a job working at South End Airport in Essex, flying for a company called Region Airways, and I was a pilot's, employed as a pilot's assistant uh, on a Bandaranti aircraft, yeah. and uh, and that was uh, effectively a single crew aircraft at the time. So my job was helping out in the flight deck for takeoff and landing, and uh, and sort of serving the customers in the back of the aircraft um, during the cruise. Um, I did that while I built some hours and did all my licensing. And then once I got my uh, my commercial pilot's license and my instrument rating, I, I was then given a, a command on that aircraft type. Um, I flew with them until. And from 1998 through to about 19, sorry, 1988 through to about 1991, uh, and then I went to a company called AirXL UK, uh, who flew Brazilias, which is a, a bigger turboprop aircraft. Um, but unfortunately, they went bust. Um, it was uh, my last recession that I was going through at the time. Uh, but I was lucky enough in the same year to get a job flying as a first officer on Jetstream 31s for Manx Airlines, based down in Cardiff. And uh, uh, Manx Airlines uh, gave me uh, some great opportunities at the time. Uh, it was as we were coming out of uh, recession uh, in the mid-90s that the opportunity started to come along. So um, Manx Airlines became part of the British Regional Airlines Group and started to uh, increase its fleet. So I relatively quickly uh, got my command and got into uh, training. 
And then in the uh, in 1997, I got my first opportunity into in a management position, uh, and I was quite lucky. So, uh, because of the way the uh, that company was going and the opportunities that became available to me, I was promoted relative, relatively quickly mm-hmm. uh, to to chief pilot in the year 2000, I believe. And that was just before British Airways bought the Brow Group uh, and merged it with Bryman to become BA City Express. Uh, and I stayed in a senior management role in my time at, uh, at, at BA City Express. Uh, they rebranded in uh, later on in the 90s to become BA Connect. Uh, I was general manager of flight ops at BA Connect uh, up until the point that it was uh, sold by British Airways to Fly BE. Uh, and at that point I was... Uh, asked to help set up uh, the AOC for a company called a, a company called BA City Flyer, which is uh, one of BA's newer uh, uh, regional subsidiaries. Uh, I set that AOC up, um, and, f- and I was only there for six to eight months as a relatively temporary role. I was about to head back to London uh, to do a job with Mainline British Airways uh, when the opportunity came for me to leave, and I was offered uh, a role as director of flight ops at Silverjet, who was a uh, Relatively new, uh, business class only, long haul mm-hmm. operation out of yep. Luton. Uh, fantastic airline, uh, great opportunity for me. Unfortunately, bad timing again, into the new recession at that point, uh, and uh, Silverjet unfortunately went bust in uh, summer of 2008. Uh, I then went back to uh, BA, did a little bit of work with Open Skies and helped them with some of their AOC integration with Lavion, which is a, a French airline that, that BA bought to merge with Open Skies, um, but was offered the opportunity to come to Thomas Cook in October of 2008, um, which I took up, and actually delighted uh, to be chief pilot at Thomas Cook Airlines now. And you still fly? I do, I'm Boeing 757 captain. Um, pretty irregular, I tend to sort of bounce from recency check to recency check once a month. Uh, I've done a few more flights more recently, which is great. But but it, it sort of comes to the territory. I, mm-hmm. I took a decision much earlier in life that if I was going to be a manager, I had to be a, a professional manager, and mm-hmm. I had to f- prioritise the, yeah. the management duties over the flying duties. So um, I know I don't get to fly very often. I'd like to do a little bit more, but but I really have to prioritise uh, you know the management functions and the management duties I have. Brilliant. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you very much, Paul. You're welcome. Paul Hutchings of Thomas Cook Airlines there. Yes, uh, definitely a big thank you to Paul for giving up an hour of his very valuable time. Uh, Really interesting insight into the running of a major charter airline. As you've probably figured out by now, I love talking aviation to people from all sides of the business, be they pilots or others with an interest in flying. If I can promote aviation in any small way, then uh, that's all to the good, I guess. Keep your suggestions coming in for new episodes or just send me an email with your comments on podcasts you've already listened to. I'd love to hear from uh, from any of you. Uh, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. That's steve at flyingpodcast, all one word, .co.uk. The number of downloads per month for the podcast is growing rapidly now, uh, with uh, July 2010 just passing the 5,000 mark. So thanks to all of you out there that are, uh, that are continuing to listen to the podcast. Please don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast and help to contribute to... Uh, to the hosting fees, even if it's just a few pennies, that would be great. Uh, follow the links to Amazon that you'll find on the, the website, which is flyingpodcast.co.uk. And uh, any purchases you make on there will provide a very small commission, but uh, doesn't affect the price you pay. Well, that's it for episode 28. If you're interested, you can follow me on Twitter or Facebook by searching for Flying Podcasts or click on the Twitter and Facebook links on the website. 
Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.